Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wade Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! This is the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Brent Brown drops the ball! He drops the ball! Three runs will score! You gotta be paping me! What in the hell are you doing? Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast, where a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast, and the home for your National League Central Cubs and third place White Sox. Had to do it to you, Pat. Uh, as I've alluded to, I am joined by the mayor of Section 509, Mr. Third Place, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how are we doing? Nick, I'm in limbo. I don't know how to feel. On one hand, I got the first playoff games since I was 14, a young, bright-eyed, uh, what, freshman in high school, the whole world in front of me. On second hand, I've watched the White Sox crumble from a uh, a situation where if they won two out of their last eight games, they would have been the AL Central champions, to now being in third place, although I have to point out in a regular season, they would be the second wild card, so they've completed my objective from earlier in the season of being a legitimate season playoff team, so I don't know how to feel. I'm looking forward to the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to get smoked. I don't know if they're going to win, but hey, I'm along for the ride. Yeah, it's probably better that the playoff format is the way it is for a team like the White Sox right now, and it's not a one-game play-in. Yep. They at least get two guaranteed playoff games. I mean, and the one-game play-in would have been against Cleveland, and I would not like our chances in that one against Shane Bieber. So I'll take the lefties from Oakland. I don't know how they're going to play, but we never play well in Oakland. But, hey, I this has been a weird year, a weird season, and at this point, whatever, just I, I can take it, I hope. I feverishly looked for when when either we or I wrote down or wrote about the NL Central predictions, and I'm pretty sure I got it completely right, top to bottom. Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, Brewers, Pirates. The NL Central having four teams make the playoffs, even despite being extremely mediocre, but so is the uh, so is the National League this year. It's pretty top heavy. So in any case, um, we're going to start the episode. Uh, like we always do with weekly recap, but we're doing it a little different. We kind of realize that we uh, it's kind of lengthy if we go game by game and kind of boring. Um, so we're going to just do kind of series recaps, main thoughts. Um, I'll go first just to set the tone. Obviously, the Cubs and the White Sox played towards the end, so we could talk about that in a little uh, longer length. But uh, the Cubs opened up uh, the last week of the season with a four-game series against the Pirates, having not clinched the NL Central yet. And they won the first game uh, 5-0. So you figured, okay, they're going to beat up on the Pirates, and then that White Sox series isn't really going to matter from a standings perspective. Uh, But it wasn't the case as the Cubs dropped the next three, which is not how you want to go uh, into the playoffs, or at least a very important series against against your crosstown rivals. Um, so going one and three against the Pirates was not ideal. The offense was completely dead. Um, but that really all turned around when they played the White Sox, which we'll get into. But in any case, they got one. Uh, they technically clinched a playoff spot, I think, uh, midweek while they were still playing the Pirates. But that was not uh, something the Cubs were trying to do to prove. It was it was division, really, and, and they, they ended up winning division. But uh, we'll get into that in a minute. How did the uh, White Sox start the week, Pat? Do I have to talk about this series? Can I just yes. forget it happened? Oh boy. Okay, yeah. so after You're a lucky it's the sh- it's the short version. That's why we did this. We're gonna. I'm not gonna address the f- question of whether or not I requested this change specifically for this week, but <laughs> alas, after a disappointing series, the Hangover series against the Cincinnati Reds, where the Sox dropped two out of three after clinching the uh, the playoffs for the first time in 12 years, 
We uh, travel down the road to Cleveland to face the Cleveland baseball team. And in the biggest series of the year, uh, you know, needing to win basically two games to lock up the AL Central. The Sox absolutely pooped the bed and got swept out of the city. Uh, I don't really know where to start with this one. I mean, on one hand, you did get some bright spots, which I'll talk about. Garrett Crochet obviously being top among them. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez gave you five innings of one run ball in the game on Tuesday, which, you know, you would think if Reynaldo Lopez is doing that, you have to win the game. Lucas Giolito arguably outdueled Shane Bieber, and the Sox kind of sort of conquered Zach Plezak scoring four off of him, but besides that, a lot of bad. Uh, Got swept. There's no real good way around that. They got walked off on on Tuesday and Wednesday with uh, noted late game shutdown relievers Jose Ruiz and Gio Gonzalez being brought in by Ricky to face the meat of the uh, Indians lineup. And then on Thursday, Ricky brought in another uh, noted late game reliever, pitching his first game in relief in five years, Carlos Rodon. So some questionable decisions there. I I mean, it was frustrating, it was terrible to watch, and it basically sucked away all hopes of winning the AL Central. And I don't really want to talk about it anymore. So, uh, not that I want to talk about the Cub Series anymore either. That wasn't good. But, hey, uh, at least we showed some signs of life in some of those games. Yeah, so there was, like, calls for Ricky's head all oh, over it was bad. Twitter. Like, and I didn't watch any of the White Sox games, so, like, I knew they lost. But the... Do you think would you attribute at least one or two of those losses to poor managing? Probably with the bullpen decisions, I would say the one with Ruiz was a little bit more tough because Colome pitched the ninth in a tie game and then had back spasms and couldn't come in. Um, Wednesday was it? Yeah, was that Wednesday? Yeah, Gio Gonzalez coming in late was kind of weird, but I'm guessing they're probably trying to preserve the bullpen for the playoff spot that was clinched. Thursday was the one that was inexcusable. That's where you bring in Carlos Rodon to face the bases loaded with two outs which Jimmy Cordero loads the bases, then gets two outs. You bring in a Carlos Rodon, who's not a reliever, because you want to see if he'll work in the playoffs, which on one hand I get, but on the other hand, like, you're trying to win a division here. I don't... So I'd say, like, probably one or two of them is on him. In the grand scheme of things, does it really matter? Eh, I mean, they're still in the playoffs. And does it... I don't know. I I don't think he's getting fired, because I don't know who a better option is, which is the bigger problem with firing a manager without a plan. But I don't know. It was disappointing, to say the least. Doc Rivers is now available. Just a thought. Dude, run Lob City out of uh, the south side. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, when we were talking off the air about possible manager of the year candidates, and if the fact that it might be Ricky Renteria and Don Mattingly makes me want to vomit. Well, yeah, like I mean, like I said, it's uh, manager of the year is overachieving team's manager. So the White Sox may have been the biggest overachievers in the AL. Um, although in any like realistic universe, the manager of the year should be Kevin Cash or I don't know why I can't think of it. It's probably my blinding hate for the Oakland A's. I can't think of their manager's name, uh, but now I can't nothing. either. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm, it's, it's Oakland hate week, so I can't even think of it. I, it's not That's even fine. in my head. Uh, but yeah, I was going to wear my Mania jersey on the air, but I thought I'd spare you. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, after Thursday. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> in any case, um, yeah. Manager of the year, I, I really don't like that award because it, it is just like most improved teams yep. manager, and I don't think that I think Don Mattingly definitely doesn't deserve it. I mean, he's the reason that his team had to play all those doubleheaders. He was the adversity the team had to go overcome. Maybe then, in a, in a symbolic way, that's really you know what the award's all about. Instead of you know being an adult and saying, "Hey guys, we're not going to play because this is irresponsible," after your team gets six COVID uh, positive tests in a weekend, 
you let the players decide. You let them choose the adversity. That's I don't know. Maybe maybe that's how managing is in the 21st century. It's a choose your adventure style to managing. I like it. Hey, it's um, empowering then, your employees. There you go through synergy. Um, and then Ricky, it seemed like he was very content with just um, managing to make the playoffs and nothing more. And I think that's kind of spineless. And I don't like it. I don't either. So that makes two of us, which is probably one of the few things we'll agree on uh, th- with regards to Ricky Renneria's decisions this weekend. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. You really had a chance to put your foot down on the jugular and get the AL Central, which, ta- I mean, you can talk about the matchups however you want. Is it better for the Sox to be a seven seed playing at Oakland or being a two seed and then playing Cleveland, who's dominated them the whole year? I don't know, but I'd rather play at home. I mean, you'd rather have the momentum of winning a division. So. It's it's a we, it was a weird way to end this such a hyped up season that like two weeks ago seemed like it was gonna be we were challenging the Dodgers for God's sake for best record in baseball and alas here we are seven seed so definitely the probably most flat way they possibly could have gone out which is definitely never a good thing to it's never a good thing to be backpedaling into the playoffs in baseball. Yeah, I mean it's a much cooler banner as well. Uh, so I mean playoff it, participants, playoff participant, Nashville Predator style. Um, in any case, there was a second half of the week that I would much rather talk about than you, Pat, uh, which was the Cubs-White Sox uh, final series. The White Sox, for um, you know, for all practical purposes, absolutely demolished the Cubs the first time around with Jose Abreu hitting six homers in the course of like, two games, pretty much, because he didn't hit one in the third game. He hit one. He, might... he hit oh, one okay, in his first yeah. at-bat. That's right. Okay, so it was uh, six over the course of three games. Um and the White Sox led the series two games to one. Uh, the Cubs ended up winning two of those uh, three games in a pretty dominant fashion for those two wins. The first game was probably my most interesting and the most I've felt the Cubs-White Sox rivalry in a long time. Uh, simply, the Cubs absolutely dominated. Darvish, Darvish dominated. 10 nothing victory. But the real drama came when Wilson Contreras hits a moonshot to right field and throws his bat like 50 feet in the air, almost so that you could see it when they're tracking the ball. Um, comes up later, his next at bat uh, with Cordero pitching, takes one between the shoulder blades at about 98, um, getting him ejected from the game immediately. Um, and then next time he comes up as Yolmer Sanchez, Gold, Glove, Gold Glover coming up to pitch, uh, serves a meatball on the first pitch, and Contreras gets his revenge and hits another homer. The reason this is a big deal to me is because the White Sox are that fun hashtag change the game team and then all of a sudden, when someone else does it to them, they can't handle it. I don't know. But I know you have some thoughts. Nick, it was a sinker that got away. This is a very common thing that happens. <laughs> okay. Sinkers often get away inside. That's why they're called sinkers. They move inside. They move horizontally. Uh, of course, yes. But uh, I will say, I'm not here to play devil's advocate because, as I've said many times on this show, I strongly, and I cannot stress this enough, very strongly oppose the practice of hitting people intentional. Nobody hates it more than me. Uh, so I'll get into that, but you did also miss a few things that happened in that game with Wilson Contreras, uh, noted instigator, but again, I don't condone the practice, so I, it wasn't intentional. <laughs> um, he bat flipped the home run. That is correct. His second at bat between that he walked, which he bat flipped. Well, apparently that's a thing now. And then the thing that I am convinced most upset, whatever player on the White Sox put that whole beaning into motion was, uh, I think it was whoever the hell hit a home run to right. Um, Mazzara was at the wall and Jeffress climbed onto the fence and basically, you know, moved his crotch right into Mazzara's face, uh, climbing on the fence. Yeah. And then after that is when Contreras got hit. Now I'm not condoning the practice 
but that probably fed into it again I'm against it. And two, I don't think it was a coordinated team effort. There is no way in hell with the playoffs looming. Ricky Renteria sends his reliever. He is used in 50% of the games out there to be a mercenary in a 7-0 blowout. That doesn't make sense. So we have a rogue actor who went out on his own. His action was disgusting. And uh, the team had nothing to do with it. The lone wolf, um, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald theory uh, makes that, his way back into the pod. Um, I mean, yeah, the guy goes out there with that freaking... You know, he goes out there with his sleeve rolled up. He's unstable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then when the Sox hit the home run, uh, the next game when in the, in the yep. White Sox victory, the relief pitcher did the same exact thing. So yep. I, I like I loved that aspect of the uh, the showboating revenge. Yeah. But, so, uh, th- so that's why when I saw that, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's probably somebody that put that's what that put whoever you know put that into motion over the edge because that when they're doing it the next game. But hey. Who's to I say? Could see, I could see Coop calling for that. I mean, the way he went out there after uh, what the hell's his name, Angel Hernandez, I'd believe it. Yeah. So like, and then after Cordero gets thrown out of the game, uh, both Ricky and Coop, which you don't see two coaches coming out to yell at the ump often, um, but that happened, um, trying to get thrown out of the game, and Hernandez refused, which I thought was no. They both got tossed. It took a long time. Yeah. Well, I think I I had mentioned this, but I think part of it was from earlier in the week when Angel Hernandez threw out Tim Anderson and Rick Renteria from the dugout for yelling about a ball and strike call. So part of it was pent up, but Ricky was just going full out. uh, I don't even know how to put it. He got thrown out three times this week. So I don't know if he was trying to light a fire or just didn't really feel like managing this year, probably somewhere in the middle, if we're being honest. But uh, yeah, not a not a good look. He has lost all control. <laughs> Folks, the locker room is out of control. <laughs> but um, in any case, it you want to talk law about the second and order. Law and order. Do you want to talk about the second game of the series? Uh, Actually, no, hold on. We're not, we're not done yet on about oh, game one. Oh, God. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, like, I know you don't like beaning, but, like, the only team that's not allowed to bean back is the White Sox because of the way they've, like, portrayed the game. Have fun. Change the game. And they still did it. Like I, I know you say it's a rogue actor, but like rogue actor. Yeah, but like okay, Contreras uh, tagged up to get to second after he got beaned, and like him and Tim Anderson exchanged words too. It's like I, it seemed more playful than anything else. But Willie was obviously pissed, and Anderson was just kind of laughing at him. But it's like this is the only team. Like the White Sox cannot be the team to be doing that the way they played. I mean, after all that Royal stuff from last year, it's a bad look. Well, as I often take trash talking, it is totally fine to have fun, but the second it's done against me, that's when all bets are off. No, I mean, I agree with you. <laughs> that's why, like I said, I, uh, it, it was, it could not have possibly been a team thing because you would imagine that uh, somebody would have said, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that, But which is probably why Ricky was so shocked about the ejection. Um, Cordero, though, he says it got away, but you, you could tell as soon as he got thrown out, he just walked slowly off the field. If one got away from you and you get thrown out right away, you don't just walk off the field without saying a word. Right. Like, that's not – so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a bad look. I wouldn't quite uh, go so far as our fearless leader who said it is the worst look in the history of a franchise that has plenty of them. Uh, but, yeah, not, not great, uh, especially – I mean, I don't know. I think it's just the whole wounded animal symptom. It's lay, they're laying there bleeding out and somebody broke. But we're still having fun, aren't we? I'm having lots of fun. When can we get off the ride? I, I, Mr. Renteria, I'd like to get off the ride, please. <laughs> and luckily, uh, well, at least they won the next game. I'll, I'll take that. 
Couldn't quite get the Crosstown Cup back, which was the real prize this week. But uh. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so as we alluded to, the Sox won the second game. Um, the Cubs had an early 5-1 lead yep. after a uh, Chris Bryant grand slam. and then I turned the um, game off after that. Yeah, I uh, I had caught the game late, so I jumped on right after the grand slam. And I, I was Cubs tired. The Cubs the were winning too much. I was tired. Of, I was tired of the winning. Sick of winning. Uh, there, I certainly got tired of winning there. But uh, yeah, the Sox were able to come back down. Five, what is it? Five one, five two, one nine to five. I mean, I thought maybe that was them kind of waking up, turning it around because I knew having John Lester on the mound was going to be a big game for the Sox. They've eaten lefties alive this whole year. And in another banner that will undoubtedly go up, we're the first team in the modern era of Major League Baseball to go undefeated against left-handed starting pitchers in a season. Uh, No asterisk. uh, Definitely not. 60 games is basically equivalent here. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That was at least an... I thought that was going to carry over into Sunday more than it did, but... Uh, that also did not happen. So hey, I don't, I don't know. I'll take the win, but that's all I got. Yeah, and then both of us were a little bit busy watching the uh, the Bears game on Sunday. So uh, the Cubs went out to a pretty hefty lead. I believe was it ten nothing? Ten two. Ten two. Okay. And then the Sox uh, clawed their way back against the Cubs B team uh, to make it a ten eight loss. But the Cubs uh, tie the series, hold on to the Crosstown Cup. Right? They. They, yep, the they retained. They won it last year. That was the big yeah. prize this year. That was the big fish. But, yeah, uh, the F, absolutely. Nick, I'll and tell you what, after that last game, Ricky's boys may be a little hypocritical at times, but they do not quit. <laughs> they do not. Uh, you know, uh, any lesser men would quit as Billy Hamilton hits a home run that actually went over the wall. That's when I quit. That's when I decided it wasn't going on the TV at all that day. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that one. That's that's a tough look. Uh, but in any case, the Cubs uh, win the division, win 34 games, um, keep the Crosstown Cup, and they have one of the best playoff matchups I could have imagined them having with the Marlins in town. There's a lot of unknown with the Marlins, but I, I will take that. They haven't The Marlins haven't made the playoffs since 2003, so <laughs> that's something as well. That's what happened in point. 2003? They, you know, they, they won the World Series. We won't get into the details of it. We won, there's no need. Yeah, they, they won the World Series. So, in any case, um, I like that matchup quite a bit. Uh, so let's talk about playoff matchups, and let's actually start with the White Sox-Oakland matchup. What do you think of all this? I don't hate it. Um, obviously, going to Oakland, a place where the White Sox have historically struggled. Um, I believe in Ricky Renteria's tenure as manager. They're 1-7 in the Coliseum. Definitely not good at the surface, but again, it's a very weird season where they haven't seen anybody outside of their geographical location, so I have no idea how the hell to gauge this. The A's were the two seed, but they also played in a garbage division where the, what, the Astros were in second place with the sub-500 record, so a little bit hard to gauge. Of all the first-round matchups, I probably would have uh, marked the A's as the, I don't know, probably third team I wanted to face the most uh, behind Oakland. No, not I just said Oakland. Behind Toronto and probably the Twins, I don't know. Uh, But in any event, they feature a lot of left-handed starting pitchers, which although they are better than a lot of the lefties the Sox faced, they still eat lefties for breakfast. And I'm not going to, you know, just write off uh, that the Sox are done. I think that's going to do something here. In those first two games with Giolito and Keuchel on the mound, they have a shot against anybody, especially a team that lost their MVP candidate third baseman. So, you know, anything can happen. I, I mean, I think it'll go three. I, I don't see a scenario where it doesn't. But getting that first win against uh, Jesus Luzardo with uh, Giolito on the mound is going to be huge because Chris Bassett being a right-hander game, too, even with Keuchel on the mound, is going to be a tough one. So 
I think it's going to be a good series. I I mean, I'm going to go ahead and predict the Sox to win in three because I'm that guy, but it should, it. I think it's a coin flip. Maybe I'm being a little optimistic here, drinking the Kool-Aid, but... Yeah, I think it will go through. I think it is a coin flip, and I think... I just think that the Oakland is just more experienced, and I think they have a... They're they're better tuned to win a bullpen game, which I think the third Agreed. game will be. Oh, yeah, I don't so, know who the hell's going to start game three for the Sox. I, I don't know. And the and the A's can start Manaya, They can start um, Montes, or they can just go full bullpen game or any combination of that. You can give Manaya three, Montes two, and then just bullpen it out. So I just think they're better equipped to win a game three. If the Sox want to win this series, I think they have to win it in two. Yeah, I think I mean I think that's their best shot. Unless I don't know, maybe they do something crazy and put Garrett Crochet to start Game Three, uh, or I mean, hey, Ronaldo Lopez has playoff experience. People often forget that he appeared in the 2016 playoffs for the Nationals. So who knows? Maybe that's the uh, crusty old veteran they need. Yeah, maybe um, Cubs matchup. Like I said, a pretty favorable. Probably the one team I specifically wanted to line up against. Um, Cardinals kind of scared me, just even though they haven't been themselves all year. The Reds were by far the scariest team oh, yeah. to where the um, last week and a half, I was hoping that the Cubs would lose games or the Braves would just keep winning so that the Cubs would slot in that third spot, and that's exactly what happened. Um, so the Reds play the Braves, so to get one of those teams out of the playoffs within three games is actually really favorable, and the Cubs will play, or, or the Marlins, I guess the Cubs could lose, uh, the winner of that one. So, uh, and the San Diego, the Cardinals, and the Dodgers, and the Brewers are on the other side. So you won't have to play any of the, those teams until the championship series. So you won't have to run to the Padres early. You won't have to run to the Cardinals. And the Dodgers, I mean, obviously the best team in the National League, might be the best team in baseball, um, only will be seen if the World Series is on the line. So I like that. I like the Cubs. I mean, the, the Marlins matchup is interesting because it's a bunch of guys that the Cubs haven't really seen very much and they're also really really dominant but they also are wild pitchers so if the Cubs can be patient I think they'll do well you got to go Darvish and Hendricks interchangeable one game one or game two they haven't announced the pitching matchups yet because the game's uh Wednesday as opposed to tomorrow's or Tuesday's White Sox game but I think you go Darvish one um and then you go Hendricks two hopefully the series is over by then because then you have a tough decision on your hands Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I do think, though, you know, historically speaking, looking at the numbers, the Cubs playing the Marlins at Wrigley in the playoffs with no fans in attendance is going to be a strong benefit. Yeah, I mean, foul balls will be... uh, They will land. They they will land, yes. Or they will be caught, Uh, one of the two. (laughs) Yes. Nothing will Uh, interfere with that flight path. Except the netting, right? We're going to blame the netting. And you don't have Alex Gonzalez at shortstop, so that's another thing going for you. That's very important, and in fact, more important than having fans interfering, if, we, if we're going to be real about Agreed. this whole situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, and we have a couple guys getting hot at the right times. Chris Bryant, who, you know, hurt his oblique in the Pirate series. Everyone's like, he's done. He might never play as a Cub again. Comes back and hits like two home runs in the, in the White Sox series, Grand Slam. He's wearing chains now. Like, he looks like a heel, like a wrestling heel. <laughs> Um, it's like he's he's got his you know much like Stella he's got his groove back. Wilson Contreras is getting hot too. Um, yeah, so I mean I actually I was really worried about the Cubs at the beginning of this week and now I'm like all in on them making a deep playoff run, which is just the bipolar nature of of being a baseball fan come playoff time. Yeah, 
I, th- I mean, I think I think the Cubs will win that series. It's going to be interesting, especially with a guy like Sixto Sanchez on the mound. And man, that's a great baseball name. But uh, yeah, I think the Cubs. I go them in three. I don't. I just. I think the experience is going to be a big thing, and the unknowns of the Marlins mainly because I can only name half the players on that roster. If that, uh, no, definitely not half. Um, yeah, I just think th- it's going to be interesting to see who gets out of that Reds Brave series. I wanted to see the Reds play the Dodgers just to get them out of the playoffs because I think that would have been the first round matchup out of anybody that the Dodgers could have lost to. But guess we'll see. The Reds are not a team I'd want to play in the playoffs, though. So you're saying you've never heard of second baseman Jazz Chisholm before? Oh, you no, no, he's on the uh, yo. I've I've been a big Jazz guy day one. Just loves Jazz. I'm a beat. I've always been a jazz fan. <laughs> Great. Utah, the music, the second baseman, all of them. I like all the jazz. A big jazz guy. Okay, um, so a few things while we finish up our regular season recap. Um, one, it's great to have two Chicago playoff teams. But we also have two Chicago award-winning contenders. Maybe three, but I think it's it's two. Um, Darvish uh, in the Cy Young race and Jose Abreu as the MVP of the American League. I think it's more likely if only one of them is going to win an award, it's Jose winning the MVP. But I have I think it's a strong case for you, Darvish, to win the Cy Young as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you with Jose. I just I, Unless they go with Shane Bieber, which I just really don't want to see a guy who only pitched in 12 games winning the MVP in the Cy Young. I just I don't like the taste of that. It just seems weird. And as far as position players go, I mean, it's the Sox getting curb stomped by the Indians is definitely not good in the Jose Ramirez versus Jose Abreu uh, argument. But I just I think Jose Abreu just put up the bigger numbers throughout the year. Um, obviously, was the big catalyst of that White Sox midseason resurgence. So I, I I'd give it to him. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I'm not going to get around that. The NL, though, it's going to be tough to beat out Bauer for that Cy Young. Although, I can't imagine the writers like him too much. And as we know in voting in the MLB, how much the writers like you uh, influences the results a lot. So, who's to say? So, the only categories in which, and there's a tweet I saw earlier, so I'm kind of ad-libbing it. But there's very few categories in which Bauer actually out um, outperforms Darvish except for, like, ERA. Like, so... Um, Darvish has more innings, I think more strikeouts. Don't quote me on that. Uh, he has better FIP. He has better. Um, oh, Bauer has better uh, BABIP. And then, you know, so we're getting into the sabermetrics a little bit. But Darvish has uh, more Ks through nine, a better walk through nine ratio. Like, he's better in just about every category except for the sexy ones, which the writers just continue to use the, um, the old school methods um, to award some of these awards. Um, and then DeGrom in third place, I don't think he gets the third one in a row. But I'm okay. giving it to Darvish. I'm definitely biased, but I just think he had the better year overall. Nick, I just need to know one thing. Who had more wins? That's what's important <laughs> in pitching. And oh, yes. I'm looking this up right now. We're having the numbers guy crunch number. Hey, it was Darvish. He had eight. Uh, I, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, right? Yeah, eight and wins. I mean, where is, oh my God, I don't even, I don't even see him on here. I don't even see Bauer. He's, he's five. Yeah, no, that's that, no good. It, Alec Mills had five. You're telling me the Cy Young had five? No, it's over. I mean, Alec Mills had a no hitter. He probably should already get the Cy Young. Just two way, Darvish and Mills. <laughs> yeah, they're going to split the vote up. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that if, if the Cubs and the White Sox can make the playoffs and get two of the major awards... Uh, that's that's pretty big, pretty big year for uh, Chicago baseball. Probably the um, best combined year since 1906, I'd say. 
Yeah, it's definitely hard up to there. argue that. Uh, so I know we're done talking about this not great week, but do you have a player of the week? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I didn't really want to name one. I believe I went went with the nuclear option last year one week and just didn't name a player of the week. But there was well, so that was the week that they didn't get a win. Yeah, and the so Sox did get a win. Yeah, that week, is true. So. so I'm a man of my word. I have to name a player of the week. So. There wasn't a lot of good options, not a lot of great offense, some decent starting pitching performances, but ultimately I went with 2020 first-round pick Garrett Crochet, the first member of the 2020 draft class to make it to the majors, and the first player since Mike Leake in 2009, I believe, to just bypass the minor leagues altogether. In the last seven days since he made his debut, again, never pitching in the minors, three games, four innings, two hits, no earned runs, and six strikeouts. Um, how did he do that? 85% of his pitches were four-seam fastballs, 11% were sliders, and 4% were change-ups. So basically just fastball and the occasional off-speed or breaking ball. Um, his average four-seam velocity was 100.1 miles an hour, and his change-up was 92.5. So he's throwing change-ups out there faster than Dallas Keigel can throw a fastball, which is just nuts. As of Saturday night, he was second in all of baseball in 2020 with 45 pitches of 100 miles an hour or more. Two behind Brewstar Grutterall for the MLB lead in six innings. So he's thrown 45 pitches 100 miles or more in six innings. So not a lot to like this week for the White Sox, but uh, Crochet definitely was at the top. So he's my player of the week. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair one for a tough week. Um, I'm giving it to Chris Bryant, which I think this is the first time I've done that this year. Uh, even a short year. He has had a bad year, but he's coming back in a big way. I think two homers, Grand Slam. Um, and this is, he's not eligible for like the uh, full week stats because he was out a couple games, but uh, he's completely changed his attitude and I'm all about it. He's literally went full villain. And I, I'm oh, it's great. all about it. I love it. Uh, I mean, he was, uh, they asked him what he thought about his critics uh, throughout 2020 and he literally just said, I don't give a shit. Like, that was awesome. Well, I remember when I saw the video, I was like, I didn't think that was, I like didn't recognize him with the mask on, but I'm like, this is great. Finally, he's like putting his foot down. I honestly didn't, I mean, he that might have been the first time he's ever said a swear word. Probably. Honestly, like, he doesn't drink, like. That's why I'm like, yeah, he, the, 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 how far he has come since, tw- like, 2015 is crazy now. He's out there cursing on freaking the Zoom calls. That's, I'd, yeah. hey, I'd put him in right field for the Southsiders. That's the, uh, you know, that's the attitude we want going into the playoffs, and I think everyone's kind of rallying around it. Um one thing's for certain for the Cubs of the playoffs, they will be the loudest dugout as they were all season, much to the chagrin of uh, NL and AL Central opponents. But Chris Bryant, for the first time this year, gets a Player of the Week. All right, moving on, we're going to go to our favorite segment, the uh, LinkedIn Player Profile, probably the last one we do of the year, unless uh, we make a deep playoff run, we'll see. Um, but LinkedIn Player Profile is when we go through the careers of an old Cub and old White Sox using LinkedIn as a primary source, and maybe it'll invoke some fun memories. I'm going to go first this week by uh, with a pretty recent guy by the name of Darnell McDonald. Uh, Darnell McDonald was a career uh, 250 hitter with 20 homers and 83 RBIs. He started off with the Orioles, uh, took three years off, and played for the Twins, the Reds, the Red Sox from 2010 to 2012, the Yankees, and finished up his career uh, 2013 with Cubs. Um, like I said, I, I, I told his stats, but it's what he did afterwards, or continues to do afterwards. He was only on the, the, the Cubs for one year at 2013, but his LinkedIn is pretty um, pretty full uh, Darnell McDonald has a great picture of him with a fedora on and a hoodie. It's a great uh, combination. 
uh, former MLB player and keynote speaker. So obviously, if you put that in your description, you are only getting the good speaking gigs as keynote, as opposed to um, you know being a headliner or something like that. We go to his um, his playing career or his, his job career or his job history. It starts off in 1997. He has pretty much paragraph long descriptions for every single job he has so I'm not going to uh, read them all but if you go to his Red Sox one he talks about in the bottom of the ninth I hit an RBI single off the wall becoming the first Red Sox player with a walk-off RBI in a club debut so that's pretty cool for him uh, walking off in his first uh, game as a Red Sox. Uh, his Cubs one was the fondest memory playing with the Cubs is hitting a home run at Wrigley Field as a child the Cubs were my team and I spent a lot of time watching them which made this moment more impactful. So after his career was over in 2013, the Cubs actually hired him to be a mental skills trainer, which pretty much sounds like a Jedi, if you ask me. Uh, but he wrote, I was hired by the Cubs as their very first mental skills trainer in 2016. We won the World Series. It was a great experience and to be able to contribute and help the team win the championship. In my speech, The Secret of Breaking the Curse of a Goat, I'll share my first-hand accounts and give a behind-the-scenes tour of how mental skill helped the Cubs win the World Series. Kind of love how he's taking credit for the 2016 World Series. (laughs) One of the few people I've not seen yet uh, with their name around it, so maybe it was him. Maybe he was the puppet master. Well, it's like... It's it's the, the syntax of the first few sentences where we won the World Series... And like, and I, or I was the mental skills trainer, and we won the World Series. So he's definitely like noting that he may have been a part of it. And then later in this in the paragraph, he's like, "No, this is all because of me." So now he works uh, for SVA Sport as a life impact keynote speaker, and this is what he wrote through a unique blend of education and entertainment. My high impact talks teach about awareness, mindfulness, being being in the zone, and how to beat the curse of the goat. Again, taking credit for the curse of the Billy Goat. <laughs> I strive to deliver an experience that will end up being one that people will likely both learn and remember from for a lifetime. This is an absurd credit grab, and I'm all about it. I'm just saying, like, it's so good. That's, I mean, I, that's, I, maybe I need to take after that, because I, I don't take credit for winning the uh, 2004 B-League LaGrange Little League Championship on my LinkedIn. Maybe I got to put that up there. All I'm saying is, is I spent more time on the field in 2016 than Darnell McDonald did, and yet he's taking credit. That's all I'm saying. Missed opportunity for you. I mean, I could still. I did write an article about how I'm taking credit as well. So. Yeah, but is it on your LinkedIn? It's not on my LinkedIn. It should be. Let's go. It's all about networking, man. It's all about building that network. Yeah, definitely. But in any case, that is the Cubs LinkedIn player profile, Darnell McDonald. What do you have for the Sox this week, Pat? So I have a very uh, short-term White Sox, a, the five foot nine former switch-hitting infielder Aaron Miles. Uh, Aaron out of Pittsburgh, California, which will be important later, so write that down, Nick. Don't forget it. Pittsburgh, California, no H. He was drafted by the Astros in the 19th round of the 95 draft, where he progressed through the minors until being taken by the Sox in the 2000 minor league Rule 5 draft. Um, bounced around the minors for the White Sox until he made his debut in 03, where he played in eight games, hitting 333 with no homers, no walks, no strikeouts, three doubles, and two RBIs, um, and a .1 F war. So he did kind of uh, have a win above replacement for the Sox. That was all he would do in a White Sox uniform, though, as he was traded to the Rockies in the offseason after the 2003 season for eventual, eventual World Series hero Juan Uribe. Um, did well for himself after that, though. He was fourth in the 2004 National League Rookie of the Year voting, and then it was traded to the Cardinals, where he kind of had the unfortunate incident where he hit the foul ball that drilled Juan Encarnacion in the on-deck circle in the eye and it basically ended his career. Uh, so that's definitely unfortunate. 
Don't, li- don't like to see that. No. From there, he bounced around a lot, playing with the Cubs in 08, where he backed up Fontenot, Terrio, and Aramis Ramirez. Uh, went to Oakland after that. The Dodgers, where he ironically filled in for an injured Juan Uribe. His career coming full circle as he retired right after that. All in all, a negative .6 war player over 932 career games, hitting 281, basically the definition of a journeyman utility guy. So what is he up to now? He is currently the manager at the Pittsburgh, no H, California, Diamonds, all lowercase, which I thought was interesting because I'm like, this dude can't even spell Pittsburgh. But like I said, and you wrote it down, I know, uh, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, California. No, what else doesn't have an H is uh, California. That's true. So that is a good. I didn't write that down. So <laughs> yeah, write that down, Pat. And I'll remember next week. Uh, anyways, his about twenty years of professional baseball experience that includes playing and managing World Series champion, have managing and general managing experience with Pittsburgh Diamonds, putting team together and balancing salary, budget, and player housing accommodations, scouting and player development expertise, as well as training camp scheduling of games and practices. It's all in lowercase, so basically he's talking about how he can manage, but he can also, uh, not only on the field, but also player accommodations. Uh, that's, you know, that's pretty unique. I don't know how he's not got a major league job yet. Um, outside of that, his education, well, no, I'll take that back, his job experience with the Pittsburgh Diamonds. For the five years and five months, he was the manager, May 2015 to present, but since September 2018, he has also taken on the additional responsibility of being the baseball manager. The difference between those two positions, I don't know, but... There is a distinction there, so it has to be something. Enough to put it in your LinkedIn. That's, I mean, it's got to be something. I've got to figure out what this guy's all about. Um, other than that, went to Antioch High School, apparently from 1995 to 2012, where he was a high school graduate and a professional baseball player. He also has his, a link to his baseball reference page in the bio. Uh, no, that's not even his page. This is literally, you click on it, and it just pulls up the logo of baseball reference. <laughs> like I'm, I'm clicking on it, it's not going anywhere. He's like, yeah, just Google it, you'll find me. I, that's, dude, that's bizarre. I, Wait, so he coached at uh, Antioch High School in uh, California. Oh, okay. Yep. I was like, not then he would have coached coach Paul DeYoung. No, yeah, unfortunately not. But yeah, it's I, I'm. This is bugging me. This is literally just a picture of the Baseball Reference logo. <laughs> Somebody should like tell him. But hey, in any event, he, uh, yeah, get, go LinkedIn Premium free trial. You can send him a an in mail. In any event, uh, that's uh, that's Aaron Miles, not the uh, most proficient LinkedIn user, clearly. Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty great one. I'm not gonna lie, a big fan of that one, especially the confidence both of our 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 players had this week. I just gotta say, going into the playoffs, that's what it's gonna take, though. That was the theme of this week. Definitely intended. Definitely intended. Totally not an accident. Nope. Uh, but in any case, that concludes our regular season. That concludes, uh, hopefully, we've got a couple more episodes, uh, which would imply deep playoff runs. And I don't know if we'd do episodes if only one of our team is, is going far. So let's hope for deep runs for both of them. Um, you can listen to this episode and all our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, Pat, we're going to give you the old question at the end of the episode. And this is uh, more of a deep thought one. And I have I some don't answers like already I don't like go. thinking deeply. No, what playoff outcomes would you consider the White Sox season to be a success and if or a failure? So well, Nick, it's all it's all great. What's a success? It's already a, a success. No, I mean, on one hand, it is a success. Jesus Christ, I'm butchering this. Uh, a success because they were a legitimate American League playoff team. But to humor your question, what I will say, I if they get blown off the face of the earth in two games, that's that's bad. Nobody wants that. That's a disappointment. 
Um, if they go, I don't know, three games, tough fight, and they lose a bullpen game to the Oakland A's who basically invented the opener, uh, I, I can accept that. I would still be disappointed, though. Do not be disappointed. I need them to get to the ALDS. I, that's just that's what it's going to be. I need them to get there. I need them to put up a fight against the Twins in that round. Or the Astros, but the Astros are a garbage team this year, no pun intended, and I don't see them moving on. I, yeah, to not be disappointed at all, I need an ALDS berth. If they go to three games against the A's, I won't be fully disappointed, but there will still be that kind of taste like, I mean, they were a seven seed and got bounced around one, so that kind of sucks. But all things considered, just get me to the ALDS and I won't complain. I've a lot of times the last few years kind of uh, piled it on Cubs fans who kind of just do nothing but complain and then miss the ride that's in front of them. So I'm going to do my best to not do that, and I already know that's going to be extremely difficult. So we'll see how that goes for me. Yeah, I was going to say, just enjoy it. Enjoy playoff baseball it's first when, your team is, when your team's involved. Um, a lot of comps have been made to the 2015 Cubs, and they were lucky enough to win their, um, win their wild card game which was what we were looking for. That was the win. But then they even got a bigger taste by knocking out the Cardinals, and that was, like, the best thing ever. The Sox don't have a Daniel Murphy this year, though. They don't got to face him. Not that we know of yet. Who knows if, like, Matt (laughs) Canna becomes, like, a god or something like that, or or Olsen. That'd be the end. Yeah. Marcus Semien just goes off against his former team. Revenge games uh, aplenty. Uh, for the Cubs, uh, obviously a failure would be losing to the Marlins in the playoffs again, of yes. course. Um, and I think in the middle, if they make the division series and lose, it's not great. I'm not happy with that, but I, it's like that middle ground between failure. I think a success is making the championship series. Uh, if they lose that, they lose that. But I think that's when, when I would consider it a complete success. The window is closing. You want them to be competing for the shot at a World Series, and you don't do that unless you get to the Championship Series. So that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, getting another matchup with the Dodgers would be something, but in this type of season, I don't think there's any shame in losing to the Dodgers. It's just they're by and far the best team in baseball. So you get to the NLCS, anything can happen. But, yeah, you don't want to lose to the Marlins. That You don't want to be the team that loses to a Don Manningly managed team. That is just terrifying that's bad. to think about. That's worse than, I mean, Jack McKeon was at least a respectable manager back in 03. John Mattingly? No. No thanks. All right, that concludes our episode. Thank you for listening, and remember, everybody, Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Go Cubs in the playoffs. Go Sox in the playoffs. Uh, no go MLB because we only want our teams to win. Have a great week.